Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Plus Four podcast, exploring the big wide world of Hickory Golf. I'm your host, Rob Berman. Episodes of this podcast reflect the personalities, the passion, and the pursuit of the game as it was played in the pre-1935 era across the world. Please subscribe and hit the like button to help us build our network of golfing fans coordinated in the United States through the Society of Hickory Golfers. And visit us online at plus4.org. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Plus Four podcast. The third and final week of my venture to Scotland for the 2022 World Hickory Open centered on two nights in East Lothian, where I got to play North Berwick and the Renaissance Club with fellow Hickory tournament organizers from Sweden, Switzerland, the Netherlands, UK, and Germany, spending the final days of my week in the fabled 12th century town of St. Andrews. Late October proved to be a challenging time to get on the old course, as it includes the final days of playing the ball down, before winter rules require all guests to play from individually issued mats to protect the links from the winter conditions. We were unsuccessful balloting, but several of us rose at 4 a.m. to queue up for the opportunity to fill any opening on the tee sheet. I was 14th in line and fortunate, quite frankly, to get out at 1.20 p.m. with just enough daylight to complete my round. In addition to playing the old course with hickories, as well as the Eden, Montrose, and King Garrick, I had the great pleasure of sitting down with Angela Howe, director of the RNA World Golf Museum. We spoke about the 150th Open, the history of the museum and its recent renovations, and how the work of the museum fits into the larger global context of supporting the growth of golf and the aspirations of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club. I hope you enjoy this conversation with one of the most dedicated stewards of the game's history and its early origins, Miss Angela Howe. Angela, thank you so much for some time today. It's such a pleasure to be here, my first visit to the museum, and a chance to meet you. You're very welcome. Hello. I'd love to know the backstory about this fantastic museum. I know it was something else before it was the RNA World Golf Museum. That's right. So the museum started in 1990. It was opened in 1990, and it came about through the auspices of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club, mm-hmm. who had such a a large collection and really needed to do something else with it because they were running out of space in the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. And there had been discussions going on for quite some time about um, building a museum and then looking into the, the feasibility of this. It was a fairly contentious matter. Any building works in St Andrews mm-hmm. is and can be very, very sensitive. Um, so after lots of planning meetings and discussions and going back to the drawing board and refining the plans, it eventually went through and the museum opened in 1990. And originally it was a single storey building, quite stark and modern was I suppose would be the style of it mm-hmm. won lots of awards for its its architectural design um on the same site on the same site mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely on the same site 
and it was called the British Golf Museum. That was the original name. Mm-hmm. And so as we approached what would have been the 30th anniversary of the museum in 2020, which was also the year that the 150th Open would have been played in yeah. St Andrews had it not been for the pandemic and the cancellation, etc. Right. We felt it was time to re- refresh the galleries. We had been updating sections of the museum each year, but really to bring it properly up to date, make it more modern, more relevant, more engaging for our visitors, we felt that a complete strip out and start again mm-hmm. was was the best approach. And fortunately, we, we got the funding for that. We got approval from the museum board and um, from the R&D board. And um, we did all the planning during the pandemic. Oh. So we had gone quite a way down the road with a designer. And um, then, of course, the pandemic hit. We were all working from home. Mm. We carried on all of our planning meetings on on Teams and Zoom calls (laughs) and really just got to know the the design team when it came to the fit-out stage or to meet them in person at the fit-out stage. Mm -hmm. So um, we reopened in June last year. Mm -hmm. And as part of the redevelopment, we were asked to review the name and the branding of the museum we felt that British Golf Museum really didn't signpost us in any way to the Royal and Ancient Golf Club. A lot of visitors were confused. They thought we were owned by the St Andrews Links Trust or that we were just completely separate and independent to the Royal and Ancient Golf Club. And we really wanted to signpost that connection. So we worked with a consultant and it was a really fascinating process going through all the, the naming options and really digging deep into what we felt was right for the museum, what was our proposition, how did we want to position ourselves, and really we felt the connection to the R&D was absolutely vital. We also felt that because the collection had grown so much in the 30 years since the museum had been opened, and we wanted to align with the R&D's global responsibilities, we felt that having world in the the name was also relevant and appropriate. It's ambitious, it's aspirational, but we felt that that's what we really wanted to demonstrate. We wanted to be a bit more confident in, you know, in saying who who we are and and who we are a part of. Mm -hmm. So we decided on the R&D World Golf Museum. And then when it came to the branding, which again was a really fun and interesting process, we took quite, in some ways, a subtle approach, but the actual brand identity is very bold and very colourful, as you may have seen as you were going around the galleries. But we took our inspiration from the stained glass window in the clubhouse, and we wanted to create this idea of a luminous window through which you you view golf's past. And that's where we got the inspiration from. So that's sort of taken us up to where we are today. Mm. That's the potted history. And you were here before the overhaul. Is that right? So I started here in 1998. So I've been been involved with the museum um, and the club for a long time. Originally, my role was focused more on the club's collections and research and um, 
film archive study associated with the with the with the collection. But then I started to get more involved in the museum side of, mm -hmm. of things as well. I was going yeah. to ask whether the entire contents of the RNA's collection merge with the museum or are there two separate collections really? The collections are separate in in some senses. So the core of the collection came from the Royal and Ancient Golf Club and then over time, over the last 30 years, the museum itself has acquired hmm. additional artefacts from yes. um, donors and also lenders. Yes. Um, so the collection has, has grown. So the museum, as well as having um, the core of its collection from the club, it also has its own by rights collection yes. as well. The other thing I like about your branding is the kaleidoscope analogy and the idea that everyone is welcome in this game. And if I may say, I, I was through the museum yesterday and the exhibit that struck me most with the, was the Ladies Golf Union exhibit. It's mm -hmm. very powerful. It's not extensive, but it's very meaningful and excites me a lot as somebody that doesn't know a lot of the history of the Ladies Golf Union. Mm -hmm. We're very fortunate, really fortunate, and in some ways it's an unexplored collection. So far as when the R&D and the LGU merged in 2017, we then acquired that collection mm -hmm. to look after. There's still a lot of research to mm -hmm. be done, a lot of work to be done to fully understand what's in the collection and get more of it on display, but we have made a start there. And also, we are working with a PhD student who's based in the museum and she's doing her PhD through Glasgow Caledonian University mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she's looking at women's golf and she's she's making good use of, of the, the collection as well Exciting. and she's writing research papers and presenting and publishing as she goes through her her, her thesis three, three, four years of study. So we're getting more and more exposure to the collection, which is really fantastic. And that will inevitably lead to scholarly books and research. And I think so ab ab absolutely. There's yeah. great opportunity there, um, you know, to welcome researchers in who want to do their own study. And we're certainly very um, willing and happy to help them with that mm -hmm. and facilitate that. I was at the Eden yesterday and Martin Slumbers was having lunch. And I said, hello, I introduced myself. And of course, I know who he is. And I looked at his biography last night. And I understand when he came in, he developed a new strategic plan for the RNA. As somebody in this line of work myself, administration, mm -hmm. nonprofit, arts executive, I find that very exciting. Mm -hmm. And it, do you find having a clear vision and strategic plan useful? It's absolutely vital yeah. so that we can thrive. And our whole mission across the R&D is to ensure that golf is thriving yes. in 50 years time. And we are all part of that. Even in, in the museum, it might not seem like such a direct, there's a direct connection, but it's got to be something that applies across of the board to, to, to all of our departments and all of our teams. Um, it's a very worthy mission. It's one we all buy into and we all play our part yeah. in delivering that. One. So So having a very, very clear um, strategic plan, um, which gets reviewed every five years, yes. and the, yeah. the the executive group are actually going through that process at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we have clear goals and objectives that we are working towards. Sure. One never knows the young girl that will come through the museum doors and 
have a lifetime in golf. Absolutely. There are so many fantastic stories of youngsters, you know, coming through the junior ranks and making their name as amateurs. And then some of them go on to become professionals. Some of them remain as as, as amateurs. And but whatever level you're at, it's all about the love of the sport and making sure the sport continues to thrive. Yes. So did you come through the fine arts tradition before you landed at the RNA? So I studied history of art mm-hmm. at university and I did an MPhil in art history as well. Mm-hmm. And I came to St Andrews to undertake a postgraduate diploma in museum and gallery studies. And it was actually while I was study, studying in St Andrews that I started mm. working in the museum. I had a weekend job in the museum yes. and um, <laughs> somehow never really left. Yeah. <laughs> but there's always been such exciting opportunities and great projects. You know, I've been really, really lucky to work with such a fantastic collection and coming from an art history background having a world-class art collection to look after in the Royal and Ancient Golf Club and and to be actively involved in growing that collection and expanding mm. it has been an absolute privilege Absolutely. and really one of the 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 most memorable and favorite things I've ever worked on yeah wonderful do you have a sense of the oldest piece in the entire collection could that even be identified the oldest piece in the collection. So we have the first minute book um, dating back to 1754, mm-hmm. and not every golf club can right. can say that they have their their original minute book. We have within that the names of the 22 noblemen and gentlemen of yes. Fife yeah. who subscribed to the purchase of the Silver Club, yes. which was played for annually over the links, which right. then evolved into the Society of St Andrews Golfers and then subsequently the Royal and Ancient Golf Club. Right. So we have very, very good documentation of the early history mm-hmm. of the club. Within the museum, actually, it's a loan collection from Royal Troon Golf Club. We have the earliest known set of golf clubs in the world. And it's an absolutely phenomenal story because they were found, as you know, in Maester House, boarded up in a cupboard. The house was suffered a fire and Mm -hmm. fortunately the club survived and were found and made their way through one person to the next person to the next person to Royal Troon and then to us and we have them on display in the museum. Yes, I was going to ask if those are actually the Troon clubs, but they are. They are actually the Troon clubs. And Hull is in England, isn't it? it Maester Hall is in Hull in Yorkshire. Oh, it's in Yorkshire. Yes, yes, yes. I was so exciting to see them yesterday. I've seen pictures of them, obviously, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I believe that the stampings have not yet been deciphered. Is that true? That That is true. Mm-hmm. There are some theories as to what the markings could be, yeah. whether it's something to do with who owned them at the time. You yes. know, it could be the individual's own stamp, as, as it were. Or there is there is a theory that it could be something to do with a Jacobite yes, um, yes. stamp, yeah. some kind of loyalty stamp. I don't know. It's never really been confirmed, yeah. and I'm I'm sure there will be more research being being done on yes, that to yeah. try and get the answer. Possibly made by a bow maker or an archer. Or Absolutely, yeah. It was yeah. so exciting to see those <laughs> yesterday. Was your background prior to college or university in painting or? 
the practice of art at all? No, and in actual fact, I was torn as to whether to go to university and study history of art or go to art college, mm. and I opted for academia. Good. <laughs> Good for all of us. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, I run a nonprofit arts organization myself, and I am a strong believer in this idea of stewardship. In many cases, private collections, we really don't own these objects. We're just stewards of them. And through time, eventually, with the exception perhaps of the RNA, these items will pass from one hand to another. Mm. How, do, how, do, how does stewardship affect your work here? I think it's a really good point. And I mean, for us, obviously, we have collections that we own and we have collections that are on loan yes. and they may come and go. They may be replaced with other items on loan, mm -hmm. um, other donations. So there's a sort of shifting dynamic. There's an ebb and flow of, of, of our assets and what we can share. But the important thing is that we do have the opportunity to share and not just within the museum, but also mm -hmm. sharing with other institutions, yes. yeah. um, which is which is very important. And we do quite a lot of that and it's something that we would we would like to to do more of because it's it's so important that if people can't come to us that we go to them yes, and yeah. we fulfill this obligation that we have set for ourselves to be the R&D World Golf Museum we want our reach to be as extensive as possible right beautiful how about conservation you have priceless items here in some cases, it's probably better not to conserve items and let them rest as they are. But does conservation come into your life here as the director of the museum in a regular way? We we don't have um, a conservation studio here or trained conservators within the team. But if any if anything does need to be conserved, and in our experience, it's been paintings. Mm -hmm oil paintings, watercolours, some documents, mm -hmm. um, some quite fragile um, periodicals where the spines might be coming away a little bit. Those tend to be the main things that we would mm -hmm. be involved in with professional um, conservators. Mm -hmm. And what about the building itself? Uh, does, do you bear on that at all, the, the actual clubhouse itself? The building. So we have a facilities team mm -hmm. and they spend a lot of their time making sure that our buildings are functioning properly. Yeah. Obviously, with the museum collection, environmental control is really important. So we have to maintain, you know, the requisite levels. And here in this environment, you know, next to the sea sure. with the salty air and um, we, um, yeah, we, we need to make sure that we get the balance right. Is it true that the construction happening now is a new ladies wing? At the RNA? It's, it's not just a ladies' wing. There was a requirement to upgrade all of the locker uh -huh. facilities within the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. Twice a year in May and September, members come from all over the world to play in the medal competitions. Yes. Yeah. And the, 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 the clubhouse had really... It just wasn't able to cater 
for for everybody who was coming at those key times right. and really needed to to be able to provide that facility. Um, as part of the extension, there's going to be other facilities included. So, for example, there's going to be a new heritage lounge, which is an area that we'll we will be involved in mm -hmm. because there will be new displays there. Um, so yes, it's it's not just about the locker rooms. And actually, what's interesting about the the clubhouse, I don't know if you know much about the history of the building. It started life in 1854 as a single story building, mm -hmm. H shaped building, very right. very basic. Um, and almost soon as soon as it was complete it was recognised that there wasn't enough space, there wasn't enough locker space. Um, and so the extension work began and it continued mm. to go on outwards and upwards for, for many, many years and all through the late 19th century. And um, it really is, uh, you know, the original building is in there somewhere, right. <laughs> but it's just it's just grown as the membership sure. has grown and and as the interests and and demands of the members has has changed over time and interests have changed. Yes, just shifting gears a little bit. When I first walked the streets here this week, I was struck by the sound of the gulls and the sounds that people would have heard in the mid eighteen hundreds, but also. I think about Hugh Lyon Playfair mm -hmm. and the miraculous transformation that he oversaw. Mm -hmm. Do you think about that much, given everything you know? Yeah, he, Hugh Lyon Playfair is an absolutely pivotal character, and he did so much for golf in St Andrews. Mm -hmm. So on the site where Hamilton Grand sits, yeah. that's where he set up the the little union parlor which mm -hmm. was a facility for golfers and archers to to keep their equipment and and he really took that almost like a business opportunity and really it cemented or helped cement St Andrew's place as somewhere that was really, really important for golf. They mm -hmm. took their golf seriously mm -hmm. and they needed to ensure that they had the facilities to, you know, to service that that interest. And then from there, because it was the the union club, as it was known, that ran the union parlour, they had funds that the Royal and Ancient mm -hmm. Golf Club did not have. Yeah. And the Royal and Ancient Golf Club was granted land by the town council to build a clubhouse, but they didn't have the money to mm. actually build it. So it was Hugh Lyon Playfair and the the funds that had been had been accumulated through the Union Club that, that actually financed the building of the Royal and Ancient mm. Clubhouse. And the funny thing is, even though that happened, the members of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club still used local inns and taverns right. in town for their meetings. And it was only when the two merged in 1877 mm. and kept the name the Royal and Ancient Golf Club that all meetings were essentially under the same, the same right. roof and under the same entity. Also, Angela, how does the invention of photography here impact your work? It must be one of the most exciting things about the work you were doing prior to the formal affiliation with the museum. If you were working with the collection, 
photography in some senses originated here, didn't it? You're thinking about the the, the introduction of photography. Yes, yeah. Oh gosh, yes. And um and what it tells us about golf in you know, in the late nineteenth, early twentieth century as well, when it's when the experiments are taking place with photography yes. and we see those early groups of golfers all lined up. Yes, um yes. Try, trying to keep every one of them still right. and there's always the blurry one on the edge right. <laughs> because it was a very complicated sure. um, process but we have those early early images which give us a, a great insight into the gentleman players as, as they were called and and the and caddies, the caddies yeah, and yeah. the professional players so so we have a whole narrative going on there through photography that that helps our understanding right. of, of how the sport develops and and, and how important St Andrews was for that but thank goodness it was here if photography had been invented in Africa, we may never have had those images. There's so there's so much we wouldn't know, yeah. and yes, it's 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 a blessing in a lot of ways, and it's a great stroke of luck that yeah. it's. And would associated. this have been 1840s, or is that too early? Eight, eight, 1840s, certainly. Yeah. If I recall photographs that that we have and that we've seen yeah. of the golfers, it, it's around the 1840s yeah. so that exciting. they start coming in. I love it. Can we talk for a minute about other partnerships? Partnerships are often indispensable in running nonprofits. And is the museum a nonprofit technically, or is it? Yes. It is. Could you talk just a little bit about how partnerships come to bear in running this museum? So or, yeah. we are we are part of a a, a body called Sporting Heritage, mm -hmm. um, which is a great forum for sharing ideas, sharing knowledge. And that can be anything from how we look after our collections to how we market them mm -hmm. and promote them. We are a member of the Museums Association. We are a member of the Association of Independent Museums, the Association of Scottish Visitor Attractions. Um, and there's a lot of training and development and conferences and all sorts of things organised um, through mm -hmm. these different groups that we're, we're very involved in. Um, which is really, really important. And, and regular meetings as well with our equivalents and other sporting museums. Mm. Um, and in actual fact, we have a few people coming down from um, Wimbledon Museum. They're coming mm. to a conference in Edinburgh in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and we're going to have a, a morning session mm. with them here yeah. just to yeah. catch up, find out who people are, what they're doing, what we're working on, priorities for next year. And also on the lookout for any opportunities for collaboration yes. that, that may yeah. come along as well. And yeah. it's just it's really important to to keep and maintain those good relationships. Now, you have a gorgeous brasserie on top of this building, undoubtedly purposeful. So that is obviously a revenue center mm. and very smart. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about that? I suppose the original museum didn't have mm. a cafe of that type. Yeah, there was there was no cafe when we built the museum. We added a cafe in 2015 mm -hmm. and we undertook uh, an, an upgrade earlier this year. Mm -hmm. So we, we've completely transformed the, the, the interior, the look and the feel mm -hmm. and branded it as well, named it the Niblick. We love it. And we also, as part of our offering, we sell exclusive private evening mm. events, and which is also branded as the curator. And the whole premise of, of that was to put the museum collection mm. at 
the forefront of the experience. Right. So it can be very much tailored to the client's requirements, but it could be drinks and canopies in the, the museum with a guided tour, then go upstairs for it could be fine dining, it could be mm -hmm. something pretty basic, depending on what the clients want, but it's really about tailoring the experience mm -hmm. for the, the individual client group. They may want to have photographs with the claret jug or mm -hmm. handling objects, which we, we, you know, we have some objects that we can allow people to, sure. to pick up and get the feel of old hickory yes. clubs and yeah. balls, feather balls, for example. So yes, it's all about creating those unique experiences, which we feel we, we have the collection to mm. enable us to do that. Yes. Another thing that struck me in touring your exhibit is the use of audio. Can you talk about that? Uh, you have a lot of subtle audio cues throughout the different spaces in the museum, mm -hmm. which I pick up on because I come from the symphony orchestra world. Mm. That's obviously all intentional and designed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How, does, yeah. how do you think about that? So when when we when we started the the museum redevelopment and we we're working with the designer, and we really had a blank piece of paper mm -hmm. to work with because we knew we were going to strip out absolutely everything, take the museum back to a bare shell, and start again. Yes which really gave us breathing space to think about how we wanted to display our artifacts to best advantage and how we wanted to help bring them to life and supplement the, the, the stories that go along with them. The museum originally was quite traditional and it was set out in a very chronological mm -hmm, fashion, mm -hmm. which was absolutely fine. It was sure. quite common to, to do it that way at the time. But we wanted to take a different approach and take a more thematic approach to covering our, you know, different different themes. And we didn't want to just have traditional display cabinets, albeit they have a place and mm -hmm. a very important place. Mm -hmm. But we also wanted to um, bring in more interactivity, bring in more audio. And it was all just about finding ways of bringing the objects to life yes. more so that you don't have the same yeah. experience in every zone that you exactly. go into. Yeah. And you can also, because it's also open plan now, you can, as a visitor, choose which way you yes. go when you go into the galleries you may have noticed that our very first area is about St Andrews yes. and on the curved walls you have the sights and sounds of St Andrews so you can close your eyes and you could be standing on the beach and you've got right. the seagulls and right. you've got the wind <laughs> blowing in the grass and this kind of thing so it's all about creating a sensory experience yes. Yes. Um, through through sight and, and sound um, and we felt it was really important to have St Andrews as the first area that you walk into because we get people from all over the world visiting the museum and visiting the town and for a lot of people it's a once in a lifetime mm -hmm. opportunity and it just gives them that sense of here I am yes. I've arrived yeah. in St Andrews this is this is what it looks like this is what it feels like this is this is what I see this is what I hear so it's a very right. sensory experience yeah, so very smart. so the audio was very much to just lift 
lift the sound levels as well, just to, um, you know, we didn't want it to be a, it's not a church, it's not yes. a mausoleum. Yes. It's a place where we have children's groups coming in. We right. have our learning room where there are activities going on. So if you if you have sound in the galleries, then people are more likely to feel comfortable about yes. talking. You don't yes. need to whisper. It's not that sort of exactly. place. I like that. You mentioned uh, the museum associations. Are there opportunities for you and your staff to pursue professional development? Yeah, there are. Well, there are so many ways, either through the museums association or within our own organisation. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of training and uh, development yes. going on. So there are constant programmes throughout the year that, that mm -hmm. we take part in, um, which can be things like how to get to being a high performing team yes, and leading yes. collaborative teams and and the value of understanding how different personalities yes. and different um working approaches mm -hmm. all contribute towards making up the high right. performing team so so there's a lot of internal training and yes. development as well as, as well as all the external stuff that goes on there's seven to ten of us on this 21 day golfing trip we need your help <laughs> because even just that limited number of personalities over three weeks is complicated <laughs> i won't go into more i want to know more <laughs> I know you have revolving exhibitions and temporary exhibitions. Can we talk just for mm -hmm. a few minutes about that? Mm -hmm. So at the moment, you'll have seen we have our um, photographs of, of Seve yes. on display. Um, so when we reopened in June last year, that was our first um, temporary exhibition. So that one has run for quite a while because yes. we wanted to show the photographs during this year's Open Championship. So next year, we're going to have a couple of temporary exhibitions, one of which will be on the railway posters. Mm -hmm. You may have seen right. one railway sure. poster on display. We have a collection of them which was donated to the mm. museum a few years ago. There are seven or eight in the collection so it would be mm -hmm. great to bring them all together which would enable us to tell the story of the how important the railway yes. was for expanding golf and making St Andrews a real tourist and golfing destination mm -hmm. and then we're going to change that exhibition to the Walker Cup Oh, good. Because the um, the centenary Walker Cup, which will be mm -hmm. played next year, um, so we want to tie in with with that, which is Perfect. being played over the old course. Beautiful. Um, you mentioned loans. Are loans made to clubs as well as museums? So, if a club, let's say Prestwick, has a significant anniversary, as they just have, is it the possibility that items are loaned to clubs as well as to museums yeah we're 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 very open to supporting the um other golf clubs and that may be clubs who host some of our championships um mm -hmm. or it may be an individual that we have items yes. um, relating to who was maybe associated with their golf club um, so yes, we do we do work with clubs, um, also advising clubs as well on their collections mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. how to look after them, um, giving them contacts of um, our archival material for archival materials so that they can look after their their documents mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and and books. We we give advice on that. 
Um, so yeah, there's very, very good active relationship mm-hmm. going on with the clubs as well as other museums. One of the things we regularly get asked wherever the Open Championship is being played, um, local museums will want to get involved and they sure. will want to tell their own stories about the Open going to their um, hometown. Yes. And they will often um, stage exhibitions and, and we help them with that as well. Is the Moroccan belt upstairs the Moroccan belt? So the original is in the clubhouse. The original oh, stays see. in the okay. clubhouse. Yes. And that was, as you know, it was the original prize yes. that was awarded to the Open champion. And um, it was won outright by yes. young Tom yes. Morris in 1870. Right. So we have a replica on display in the museum. And may I ask the same question about the Clara Jug? Is it a similar answer? It's, yeah, yes. the, the original The original is in the clubhouse. Yes. And, um, but yes. it, it, it exists. The original Clara Jug. Oh, yes, it does exist. It's so exciting. It absolutely exists. I know you have a pretty robust lecture series here. Can you talk about that a little bit? Mm, Yeah, the lecture series has been running for several years now, Mm -hmm. and we got it up and running again this year following the pandemic. Mm Although we did do some lectures on on Zoom yes, as well, those, yeah. um, so we're now going to continue with a um, more of a blended approach. Mm-hmm. They are wonderful because it lets you see how much fantastic research there is going on at the moment, um, mm-hmm. in a very active sense. Um, lots of people are are really engaging in in the history of the sport and. Um, such diverse topics that's being researched as well yes, and it's yes. great that we have so many people who have been able and willing to come along and and, and share that with our audiences. Yeah. Can global participants attend in real time on Zoom? We haven't actually done that yet okay. but, but it's something that we should look into. That. That's right, yeah, they are that's uploaded seen, after. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very nice. How is life for you in St. Andrews? Is it a treat every day? How long have you been in in this town? So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's um, St. Andrews is, is unique, really unique. Yeah. And, and I think we all recognize it's, 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 it's a very special place. And it's interesting how, how it changes as the seasons change. And being, mm. being a small university town, we have the students and then the students go. Yes. We have the tourists and then the tourists right. go. And come the depths of winter, it's, it's just the St. Andreans. Right. <laughs> and it, right. it gets quite quiet. There are always tourists around. Don't get me wrong. There are always tourists wandering around in, in the rain. and you know. yeah. but, um, but it does have its own unique personality really um, and also the fact that the course is so close to the town yes. it's yeah it's it's very easily accessible it's easy to get around and take it all in so you've got the town you've got the courses you've got the west sands beach the east sands not so far away so there's there's lots that you can you can take in even even in a day we've talked about Line playfair there are obvious families that have helped push golf forward through time Mm -hmm. connected to St. Andrews. Are there any families maybe from the first half of the 19th century or the second half of the 18th century that deserve more attention for Mm. contributions to golf? I think some names get lost and they get replaced by others and then those others become very much part of our consciousness. If you go back to 
I don't know when the Royal and Ancient Golf Club became a club um, and you have people like Hugh Lyon Playfair and John White Melville yes. um, who are really, really driving the sport and recognising the, the importance and the value of golf. And then there's the whole story of the development of the links and how it passed from the town council mm -hmm. into private hands, which brings in the cheap family yes, and yes. their involvement very briefly into the ownership of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club before going back to the town council and yes. becoming common. since then yeah. it's it's common land again. Right. So there's people associated with that period of history who might not be so well known now, mm -hmm. but but they played their part. Yes. And they played a really significant part. Yeah. When I think of Alan Robertson and think of him as a third generation ball maker, we know Alan Robertson, right? He's fairly well documented and more research is coming. I just wondered if there are others that never got that limelight, possibly because they predated photography. Thomas Hodges, I'm sure you have mm -hmm. many of his works mm -hmm. here. And, yeah. Um, I think um, I think Alan Robertson is actually a good example mm -hmm. um, for the golf historians, for the people who know, they know, yes. but for the people who don't know, they may be familiar with old Tom Morris and young yes. Tom Morris, sure. but they might not know so much about Alan Robertson and and how he was Tom's mentor, yes, um, sure. all the matches that they played in together. Um, you know, they were a formidable force, the two of them against others. Um, and I think Alan is maybe somebody who has got a little bit lost along the way and, and I think deserves more recognition. Yeah, it's incredible to think that his grandfather was a ball maker. Mm -hmm. So that legacy is generations long before Old Tom Morris was even born, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is, that's what excites me. Yeah. I've acquired Alistair Johnston's Chronicle of Golf, mm -hmm. which I'm just beginning to look into. But that's the period of history that excites me the most, mm -hmm. the lesser known mm -hmm. things that have been documented. But... I, I, I'm absolutely, and, and I consult it regularly as yes. well, because oh, <laughs> you know what you're looking for is most likely going to be in there because yes. it's so thoroughly researched. Yeah. Are there specific outreach efforts by the museum, particularly, let's say, for youth? I know you have a learning room here. Mm -hmm. Are there other outreach efforts that are an ongoing part of your mission? We're regularly asked to give presentations um, at other um, golf clubs, for example, mm -hmm. other institutions who, you know, even rotary clubs, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. who are looking for new speakers, new topics, just things of general interest. So there is always a demand for it, which is fantastic. And it's something that we really enjoy doing. Um, so, yes, okay. yeah, there is that. And does the museum aim to have membership or what is the currency of this museum? Is mm. it people through the gate or is there a way to support the museum on an ongoing basis? So we charge entry into the museum and a membership scheme is something that we have been looking into. Mm. We don't have it implemented yet, yes. but it is something that we're definitely right. looking into okay. and that's something we may introduce. Does the museum get a chance to close at any period of time? We close 
five days of the year. Mm -hmm. So we close Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, mm -hmm. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Mm -hmm. And no, we're, we're open the rest of the time. No rest for the weary. No rest for the wicked. Right. <laughs> and do you have personal hopes and ambitions beyond your tenure here? Oh, gosh, I have a lot of ambition for the museum. I think with the new name and branding, there is so much that we can do to raise awareness, to really fulfill our remit that we have set for ourselves as the R&D World Golf Museum. There's a lot of work we can do on our branding to mm -hmm. raise awareness there as well and, do, and develop it. We have great opportunities with the, the Niblick and the curator experience to really drive that mm. side of the business. Yeah. And it's, it's a really exciting time for the museum, actually. We are now hopefully over the worst of the the pandemic right. and the, the challenges it's it's brought. We've been very lucky because as a museum, we've still been able to operate seven days a week mm -hmm. and other museums mm -hmm. have not been so fortunate for all sorts of reasons. So we really want to build on that and yeah, really be as successful as we can be. Excellent. Well, I wish you well. I appreciate your time. Angela, thank you for having me here today. Congratulations on all of your success. We can't wait to see what more ambitions come true for you. Thank you so much. Thank you.